My name's Brandy, and it's been a little while since I taught, but I'm excited to be here tonight to kind of add to this series on Jonah. Tonight, we begin Act Two of a four-act play about the world's worst prophet. Previously on Jonah, our selfish and disobedient prophet chosen by God to go to the wicked people of Nineveh, became a fugitive in a futile attempt to shirk his prophetic responsibilities, and he headed toward Tarshish, as far away from God as possible. As Jonah embarked on this doomed descent, he carelessly put the lives of many sailors in jeopardy. When God demonstrated his control over creation, By hurling a great wind on the sea, Jonah ultimately convinced the sailors to throw him to his death rather than face God. The storm stopped and the converted sailors praised God for their deliverance. Now, tonight, the story continues. Feel free to turn to Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, or simply read along on the screens. Um, I know I just said we're doing chapter 2, but the very last verse of chapter 1 is the start of chapter 2. The Lord arranged for a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the stomach of the fish and said, I called out to the Lord from my distress, and he answered me. I called for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. You threw me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the current engulfed me. All the mighty waves you sent swept over me. I thought I had been banished from your sight and that I would never again see your holy temple. Water engulfed me to the point of death. The deep ocean surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I descended to the very roots of the mountains. The gates of the underworld barred me in forever, but you brought my life up from the pit. Lord, my God. While my soul was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who are followers of worthless idols forsake the mercy that could be theirs, but I will offer a sacrifice to you with a public declaration of praise. I will surely do what I have promised. Rescue belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto dry land. (laughs) Okay, two things. One, just a small aside, unlike Jonah, the fish only needed God to tell him once. Just, you know, throwing that out there. Number two, can I say this is my worst nightmare? Falling into the middle of a raging ocean, falling, 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 drowning, being touched by a fish. Doesn't even have to be eaten, just touched. 
I don't like it. <laughs> anyway, after the first time I read this, I mean, not the first time ever, but the first time for this talk, I noticed how several lines from this prayer stood out to me, not just because they're terrifying, but because they're familiar. They're sourced from the book of Psalms and other biblical texts. It should sound familiar. Maybe some of them stood out to you too. Perhaps Jonah's experience of the ocean deep served to change his perspective or at least change his response to God. God swoops in and punishes Jonah's disobedience and he finally comes to his senses. Or at least that's what I'd always been taught. But you guys, what we have here is an incredibly self righteous prayer of a man who has all the right words and no sincerity. This should not actually surprise us because from chapter one, we already know that Jonah is a bad prophet. <laughs> He's literally running away from God. And in chapters three and four, I'm just going to foreshadow, it gets worse. Jonah is the chosen one. But so far in this story, he is the one acting wickedly. And like Phil has said in the other weeks, the original audience would have immediately seen the discrepancy between Jonah and God's faithful prophets. This absurdity reveals Jonah to be a parody, an anti-prophet. A much wiser prophet, Isaiah, warned us of this when he quoted God's words about the Israelites. These people say they are loyal to me. They say wonderful things about me, but they are not really loyal to me. Their worship consists of nothing but man-made ritual. Can I nerd out? Just a little bit, real quick. It connects, I promise. So, when studying the Bible, it's helpful to know it's not just a bunch of unrelated ancient texts or inspirational quotes. It is not an instruction manual. It's literature. The Bible is full of themes and motifs that beautifully echo and overlap and blend to create one cohesive story about God's faithfulness. The more we can come to recognize these themes, the more God's word comes to life. And to be honest, it makes reading the Bible really fun. <laughs> I'm not just saying that. It's like a treasure hunt. I want to briefly overview the motifs that show up in Jonah that move us from unaware observers to well-informed participants. I think it will help make sense of this passage. The echo I want us to recognize tonight is Jonah's echo of Adam and Eve and their son, Cain. Adam and Eve, you've probably heard of them, ate the forbidden fruit to gain their own knowledge. God asks them, what have you done? 
and they are exiled away from the Garden of Eden. Their first child, Cain, gave in to his anger and murdered his brother. God asks, what have you done? And he is exiled away from his people to wander the earth. Jonah fled to Tarshish, his version of forbidden fruit. The sailors ask him, what have you done? And he's exiled into the ocean deep. There's more in the text that points pretty explicitly to all these stories, but that just gives you an idea of the pattern. In each story, we have God's chosen human seeking their own way by their own wisdom, which results in death instead of life. This pattern gives us a huge hint about what Jonah's psalm is telling us. Also, the phrase, three days and three nights, is a euphemism for dead. You know, in case you missed it. In Hebrew, the number three represents completion. So this is a completed journey to Sheol, or the underworld. So we're going to read back through this prayer and just notice all the different phrases that emphasize Jonah's descent. So Jonah is dead, or at least he was, until he wasn't, because then God sends the fish that rescues him. In the belly of this fish, the resurrected Jonah prays. With that in our minds, let's take another look. The Lord arranged for a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish and said, I called out to the Lord from my distress, and he answered me. I called for help from the depth of the underworld, and you heard my voice. You threw me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the current engulfed me. All the mighty waves that you sent swept over me. I thought I had been banished from your sight and that I would never again see your holy temple. Water engulfed me to the point of death. The ocean surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I descended to the very roots of the mountains. The gates of the underworld barred me in forever. But you did bring my life up from the pit, Lord, my God. While my soul was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. So those followers of the worthless idols, they forsake the mercy that could be theirs. But I will offer a sacrifice to you with a public declaration of praise. I will surely do what I promised. Rescue belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto dry land. I would have too. Jonah's words sound a little bit different with different context. To me, it sounds like he's really milking this martyrdom thing. Woe is me. 
I went through the worst ordeal you couldn't imagine. It was God's fault. Luckily, I am so great, so holy. So, you know, my prayers and my cries could not be denied by God. For perspective, Jonah referenced himself 27 times in eight verses. Okay? He referenced God 12 times, and not in like super flattering ways. Jonah's heart has not changed. His focus is still on himself and what he wants to do. Never once does he repent or own his own mistakes. Never once does he ask for forgiveness. He told the sailors to throw him over. They didn't want to do it. (laughs) He refused to pray to God who absolutely would have stopped the storm without Jonah needing to drown. And yet, Jonah paints this picture of his holy prayers being the reason for his rescue. He continues to believe that other people are not good enough to receive God's grace. We see this towards the end of his prayer when he throws all the pagans under the bus, where he's actively forsaking God's grace and God himself. And I think he is thankful to God, but it seems like it's for his physical rescue. Keep this prayer in mind as we move to the next couple of weeks of the series. In chapter three, we do get to see if Jonah returns to faithfulness and follows through on his prayer. In chapter four, we get another prayer from Jonah and we can compare it with this one. It's quite enlightening. But for now, Jonah's religion has not produced love. He is still condemning other people. In Luke 18, Jesus tells a parable that sounds oddly familiar. In fact, the text opens by saying, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his chest and cried, God, have mercy on me. A sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. When we come to God, what is our posture? Are we like Jonah or the Pharisees? 
Are you running away from God? If you're like me, maybe somebody else came to your mind like, ah, that person needs this story, which actually reveals that I am still missing the point. Do we look at others who have sinned and think, I would never do that? Or do we humbly acknowledge our very own propensity to seek our own wisdom, which always results in death? The story of Adam and Eve echoes throughout all of humanity in you, in me. And in order for us to understand, to truly understand that we need salvation, we first need to accept our part in the brokenness. Our part in the brokenness of humanity and of our relationships. Because we all choose our own autonomy over God's will. Full stop. Our forbidden fruit simply comes in different packaging. Without God pursuing us, we are all the same. And even when we've turned to God, we cannot let our pride trick us into thinking we still don't need God, not still, that we don't still need God's grace. It's like the song tonight, thanks be to God. One of the lines was about, even though I've seen the light, the shadow is still in me. Jonah was convinced that he couldn't, he could have a life without God's rule. He thought his religion was sufficient. How's that working out for him so far? Not great. In the words of my friend who I've never met, Paul, he wrote this in Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. When we were utterly helpless, with no way of escape, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners who had no use for him. And even if we were good, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for. And we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice. But God showed his love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were all still sinners. We all need God's grace. And thank God he pursues every one of us. He delivers us. That's the story of the Bible over and over and over. All of the echoes culminate in Jesus. Let's pray.
Father God, most of the time, I can't even begin to understand why, why you made us and why you love us and why you go to such great lengths to save us. Even when we want to do what's right, we do what's wrong. But thank you, in your love and in your kindness, you knew the only way was to show us something that's not even in who you are. The God of the universe does not stoop down for anybody, but you did. You took on flesh. You became human and suffered to show us how we can be who you created us to be. And then you put yourself inside each one of us so that we could become the people that you want us to be. Thank you that even when we're Jonah, you keep giving us chances. Your love is patient and merciful. Help us to have soft hearts that hear you and learn to find your will, not our own. Help us extend grace to others the way you've extended it to us. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.